0: IS GODFREY SYMPATHETIC? I'm curious. How forgiving are you of Godfrey? On the one hand, he seems so cowardly and irresolute. On the other, he appears to be at the mercy of his dastardly brother. My friend Jeremiah says he wants to bring the word dastardly back into vogue, and it suits Dunsey so well that I have the chance to do my part in that effort. I think part of my apprehension about judging Godfrey arises from the fact that the details of his indiscretion have thus far been kept from us. Eliot says early on, quote, It was an ugly story of low passion, delusion, and waking from delusion, which needs not to be dragged from the privacy of Godfrey's bitter memory, Unquote. What we do know, however, is that though Godfrey would like to lay all the blame on Dunsey, he also blames himself. We are told, quote, if Godfrey could have felt himself simply a victim, the iron bit that destiny had put into his mouth would have chafed him less intolerably. If the curses he muttered half aloud when he was alone had no other object than Dunstan's diabolical cunning, he might have shrunk less from the consequences of avowal. But he had something else to curse, his own vicious folly, which now seemed as mad and unaccountable to him as almost all our follies and vices do when their promptings have long passed away. I think we're given a greater sympathy for Godfrey when we get to know his father, Squire Cass. He is a superior and contemptuous man, not because of any claims to virtue, but simply because he never associates with any gentry higher than himself. In one of my favorite lines— Eliot tells us that the squire had that, quote, self possession and authoritativeness of voice and carriage which belonged to a man who thought of superiors as remote existences with whom he had personally little more to do than with America or the stars, unquote. His sons are motherless, and he himself is cold to them because, quote, the sweet flower of courtesy is not a growth of such homes as the Red House, unquote. The squire berates Godfrey for his idleness, though his life is every bit as idle as his sons'. But Elliot quips, "It was a fiction kept up by himself and his contemporaries in Raveloe that youth was exclusively the period of folly, and that their age wisdom was constantly in a state of endurance mitigated by sarcasm." He gives his sons no guidance, and Godfrey, we are told. had always had a sense that his father's indulgence had not been kindness, and had had a vague longing for some discipline that would have checked his own errant weakness and helped his better will. Then, after the squire allows his son's vices to grow under his own heedlessness, he erupts into anger and comes down on them with unrelenting hardness. So we can sympathize with him for his circumstances and his deprivations— but we are also given a glimpse into the workings of his cowardly and evasive mind. We witnessed his weak-willed evasion and feeble rationalizations when he was faced with the necessity of finally telling his father the truth. Before he went to bed, he had determined that he must make a full confession. But in the morning, when it is time to act, his courage fails him. Instead, he manufactures excuses for giving up his resolve— and he relies again on the prospect that something might save him. Quote, "'Old dread of disgrace came back, the old shrinking from the thought of raising a hopeless barrier between himself and Nancy, the old disposition to rely on chances which might be favorable to him and save him from his betrayal. Why, after all, should he cut off the hope of them by his own act? He had seen the matter in a wrong light yesterday,' He had been in a rage with Dunstan, and had thought of nothing but a thorough break-up of their mutual understanding. But what it would be really wisest for him to do was to try and soften his father's anger against Duncy, and keep things as nearly as possible in their old condition. If Duncy did not come back for a few days, and Godfrey did not know but that the rascal had enough money in his pocket to enable him to keep away still longer, everything might blow over." Unquote. And then there was this brilliantly incisive account of men like Godfrey, who, rather than acting on prudent principle, follow their own devices, and then, when all falls apart, hang their hopes on chance. Quote, Favorable chance, I fancy, is the god of all men who follow their own devices instead of obeying a law they believe in. Let even a polished man of these days get into a position he is ashamed to avow, and his mind will be bent on all the possible issues that may deliver him from the calculable results of that position. Let him live outside his income, or shirk the resolute honest work that brings wages, and he will presently find himself dreaming of a possible benefactor, a possible simpleton who may be cajoled into using his interest." a possible state of mind in some possible person not yet forthcoming. Let him neglect the responsibilities of his office, and he will inevitably anchor himself on the chance that the thing left undone may turn out not to be of the supposed importance. Let him betray his friend's confidence, and he will adore that same cunning complexity called chance, which gives him the hope that his friend will never know. Let him forsake a decent craft that he may pursue the gentilities of a profession to which nature never called him, and his religion will infallibly be the worship of blessed chance, which he will believe in as the mighty creator of success. The evil principle deprecated in that religion is the orderly sequence by which the seed brings forth a crop after its kind." That is pure genius. Godfrey is no duncey for sure, but that isn't saying much. On the balance, I find myself feeling unsympathetic. But since I know that fellow readers have felt sorry for him, I'd be very interested in hearing what you have to say.